for five. There's a certain uh, element. Certainly, and that's what it's not consuming me like twenty four seven. I gotta be patient. Yeah, I'm still patient. <laughs> Hi, welcome to The Price of a Mile. I'm Woody Kincaid, and today our interview is with Alexi Pappas. Alexi's been in the spotlight for about five years now in the running community. Not only is Alexi an Olympian, but she's a writer, a poet, a professional filmmaker, and now she vlogs her life in Mammoth Lakes as a professional runner. She had a big year last year in 2016 uh, when she released her movie Track Town, directed by her and her husband. You can watch it on the airlines if you're on an airplane right now. And she also was in the Rio Olympics in the 10,000 meter, where she represented her grandmother's country of origin, Greece. I'll leave the link for her vlog in the video description. Make sure you check it out. It's already a pretty big success. Thank you, Sidious, for putting on the podcast. If you want to hear more interviews with professional runners, make sure to check out Sidious Mag. But for now, here's running's Alexi Pappas. Alexi and I are here in Mammoth training together, and it is 9 o'clock, um, my last day in Mammoth. Alexi agreed to to do this interview, so thank you very much. Welcome. It's a Friday night, so this is prime time. Yeah. Prime, realist, prime time real estate. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday night, and her friends are going out. Thank you. I think by going out, you mean they're at the hot springs. Yeah. So that's like... That's going out for me. That's going out for you. And <laughs> that, that's going out for you, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I got the first question for you. Ready for this? How did such a nice girl end up working for the evil empire that is the Oregon Ducks? Oh, wow. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, okay, me. yeah. So the Oregon Ducks took me in as a fifth year. And so I spent four years and graduated from undergrad at Dartmouth and wouldn't trade those years for the world. It was an amazing experience athletically and socially and academically. And when I was close to finishing my time at Dartmouth, I was planning on going to grad school for creative writing. And then a teammate of mine named Matt was like, have you thought about using your eligibility? Because I had a little bit left. He urged me to think about going to Oregon. And so I spoke to Mr. Vin Lanana, who is a very noble and convincing man, among <laughs> other okay. brilliant things. And he brought me out, and I went for a run with Jordan and remember feeling like this was a very different experience that I could have than my Dartmouth experience in a lot of ways. And that there was this unique window of time to contribute to what was going to be a national championship winning team. And that felt like a privilege to be able to score a team point and have that one team point tip your 
team over to winning a national title that wasn't really in the cards for me at Dartmouth and so I took the opportunity tried to like contribute I feel Mm -hmm. like that's what a fifth year should be is like someone who is lucky to be there and adds yeah yeah it's it's something about college by a fifth year you are tired of of just participating at least you you want to I think somewhere back in everyone's mind they want to be great right by the fifth year you're you want to do something yeah, and you could be taking a job in finance or taking a job in the real world or having a family. And so to choose to continue to wear a college uniform is definitely like a bold choice, I think. You know, I was sort of a late bloomer and running, and I wasn't even in a position to score a single team point for Dartmouth until I was, I think, a junior spring. So I was still hungry to like to matter on a team. Yeah, you and I share that. Really? For better or worse, yeah. What, what were you, your freshman and sophomore year of college? Were you a clown or a mime? Um, or? I think like I came into college. At some point, I decided freshman year that I was just going to go out. and. You had a social life in college, is what you're saying? Well, yeah, sort of. Just with the team. I don't know if you count that, right? Because I spent most of my time with the team. So I, I wouldn't say it was, it was like a social life so much as like... An active life. An active life. A well-rounded college life. Is it? Is it well-rounded if you spend like 30 hours a week with your your team and then then the rest of the time like reading a book or like sleeping? I don't know. I had a different experience, I think, that those first few years. Yeah. Yeah. You were a cool kid. We went over this. No, I wasn't a cool kid. Yes, you were. I was doing a lot of... I was doing a lot of theater and other... I was doing running and also trying to learn how to be an Ivy League student, which was really hard for me to adjust to. (laughs) Everyone struggles being an Ivy League student. Yeah. Yeah. You still didn't say... You you said Jordan. Did you mean Jordan Jose? Yes. She took me on my first run. I remember it was like a few strides too quick for me, but it was like so fun and beautiful and I raced her in high school and so to kind of reunite in college and be teammates was really fun and I learned a lot from her I think we were really great teammates because we had different experiences coming into our teammateship what do you mean Jordan could prepare me for what it was going to be like the night before a championship race at NCAAs when I had never been to such a race before until my fifth year I could talk to her about what we were not missing when we were not at the social events on a Friday night, but instead staying in and eating ground beef and watching Chopped. Right. This is your fifth year. This is my fifth year. So I feel like we gave each other like permission to really commit to that year and have fun with it. Like working hard was fun together. Yeah. I I like really valued our teammateship. So do you still talk to Jordan? Yes. Frequently? I mean, not in like the everyday way that we used to, but definitely I care a lot about her. So Jordan and I keep in touch in the way that friends keep in touch, but also what I feel lucky about that relationship is that she truly still understands what I'm, what my life is. So I have like best friends that I made in college and growing up, but fundamentally like it's hard to talk to them sometimes about this running specific world stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I can call her 
with that stuff, but also I don't have to call her with that stuff. I can call her when I've uh, found a new fantastic special towel to put in your hair after you shower too, unrelated to running. Yeah. There's that side of running where you need, some people do it solo. I can't. Like I, I do a lot of training solo, but I, I, I think I need someone to, that like understands what, what I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like doing it alone either. Uh. It's a very social sport. So I think, well, it can be very non-social, but it could be very social. I think, yeah, you're definitely in the, the social aspect of it. I was talking about this with you earlier. I was thinking about track town and all this that you, you did last year. You have a lot going on. You are a, an artist and a filmmaker and a poet. But after you've gotten injured, do you feel like you're, you're still able to balance all this? Now you're coming to a point where, okay, you've, you've actually had a hiccup. Something, you know, like, right, right. What do you do? What do you do right. when that happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was like, so I had a little injury after, you know, this basically the winter, spring after the Olympics. And that was a really interesting moment because, in some ways, I was like, okay, I've achieved something that I really wanted to achieve in my life and I've experienced something. So, is this after my race in Rio? I was like, I'm not done. Like, I'm very curious. Yeah. This is like the beginning that felt and you know very special but having a little injury for it was my first injury of my life um after the olympics was a moment where i was like okay how badly do i really want this i realized that i still had a curiosity for running and that i would go through the process that athletes go through i almost felt like i was becoming um a part of the club finally where like you go through an injury and you figure it out and you get the right help and you go through the process and so I feel like I I have a, a deep respect for athletes who have gone through that and have come back and I also finally like put the costume on where I was like okay I'm doing it right like, yeah. I'm gonna do the whole thing and meanwhile you talked about balance there were days when I couldn't run there were days when I couldn't do what I was used to doing, and so I needed to channel that energy into something else. And so Jeremy, my creative partner and partner in life, we spent more time on our creative projects during that time. And so we are developing a television show, and I'm working on a proposal for a book of essays. And that time was well spent, you know. So you're not slowing down. Like, you need... I you think it's you think it helps. You think it it's a release. To have both? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can't run 24 hours a day and certainly my time goes to running first. So mm-hmm. I think that's a misconception that people might have where they're like, "Oh, you're like doing everything all the time." And it's like, "No, I'm like doing one thing at a time." Very specifically, and I'm just very focused. So if I'm at practice, I'm at practice. Sure, the conversation might wander with teammates on like what the projects, what's mm-hmm. going on with the this and that. But when I'm at practice, I'm at practice, and then I come home. Like I take my naps every day. Like I don't miss the things that I need to do as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And it's the time in between after I wake up from a nap before my secondary run, where I do a bit of writing or in the evenings. And that's where having a creative partner who can pull an all nighter if we need to is so important. So I don't pull the all-nighters. No. 
Maybe one day. One day I'll abuse my body for the It's arts. not that long. It's, you can't do it for that long. You, I, I imagine if when, when you're done running, you'll be, you'll be doing a hundred other things. You know? Or one really well. Like yeah. I think that's, I think people are like, you do a million things, but it's like, I'm trying to do a few things very well. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. You're from the West Coast. You're mm-hmm. a West Coaster. How did you grow up in, in San Francisco? I don't really know. There's not a lot out there before Dartmouth. Oh, like what my childhood was. Yeah. So my childhood. So I grew up uh, with my dad and my brother, my dad John, and my brother Lewis, who is four years older than me. So it was just us three. Um, my mom passed away when I was four. My dad is like this sort of superhero of sorts, mm-hmm. and he just put us into a lot of activities. So I think. From the start, we were doing, I was doing theater, soccer, basketball, softball, competitive softball, competitive soccer. I was on like a traveling softball team, which like my greatest strength in all of these sports was always running, but I didn't find kind of the joy in running until college. And certainly soccer provided that team, that like motivating environment that I now have in running. But uh, in soccer, I was on the Cal North, like the Olympic development team. So it's like the highest level you can be at for a youth athlete. And I was, you know, we traveled and would play against, so California would play against Texas. And if you grow up and you keep staying on these teams and you make the national team, then you're going to the Olympics in soccer. Uh And so I was a meaty defender before I went to Dartmouth and was good at soccer. Like was not the best, but I was... I was one among the best. Mm-hmm. Did you think you kind of had a shot of being the, like on the Olympic team there? Um, I think I'm too small to have been a successful college soccer player. I think I maybe could have played college soccer, but I still had the curiosity for running that I had not fully explored in high school. Uh, after two years of high school running, our coaches told all the athletes that we had to choose like commit 100% and not play soccer and not do student government and I wasn't ready for that and so I didn't run my junior and senior year of high school Mm -hmm. and I always I was like upset about that because I always knew I could love running and so that's why when I went to college and found a program at Dartmouth that I loved I was ready to do that and ready to leave the soccer days behind yeah it was just there's so much going on here that <laughs> it's hard to cover in 45 minutes. Let's try. Okay. I can tell you about my au pairs growing up. Wait, okay. Well, I had good ones and bad. I mean, no, I shouldn't say I had bad ones. I had favorite ones and less favorite ones. But my favorite one was Petra. I shouldn't say my favorite because I feel bad for all the others. But she was from the Czech Republic and she coached my basketball team. She was like my female role model growing up in a lot of ways because she was this like massive czech woman who could like beat my brother and i up when we tried to tackle her at once which we did every day my au pairs were like my guardians and also my big sisters they have any uh words of wisdom for you well i've written about petra because petra told me to i was like i want to be like you i want to be you petra and she's like no you have to be a very big alexi instead so she was very be your best self type so then you, you go to Dartmouth and you, and you go there for four years. You said that you got more serious, what, your senior year? So I was always 
serious. I know. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to lay into you here. No, 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 no. I hate that too when people like you weren't serious because you went out and drank. It's like no. I mean, yes, that's true. It's just I ran super hard and I just didn't make sacrifices the same way. You know. Yeah. That you need to. Yeah. So I think I just took myself as seriously as I was physically and mentally ready at the time. So my freshman year. I couldn't run more than four miles without walking. I was really out of shape. Like you I didn't could, run all summer. I tried to run. <laughs> like really, I remember our coach sent us this thing, and it was like go aqua jogging. And I did not even know what that was. So I, didn't, I didn't do it. But I got last in our first race, and then I was like not on the traveling squad really. And I remember there was this one all-comers meet at the end of the cross-country season in Boston, and our coach took us to it. And it was like adults and kids, and I walked in the backwoods when no one could see me because I was like, I had to walk. I just couldn't keep running. And then this woman, adult woman, like who reminded me of like, you know, this like kind of the mother that I didn't have. Like she was so so, like, she was like, you can do it. And I was walking and I was like, I'm going to beat this bitch. so So I beat her. But um, I wasn't, um, I, you know, our first Ivy League champs were on Halloween in New York City at Van Cortlandt Park, and I wasn't on the squad to travel. You know, I just wasn't in that position. I wasn't good enough yet. Sure. But I went to the meet anyway, and I dressed up in a snakeskin costume, and I cheered with a guy from Brown who was in a Burger King costume. And I still have a photo of us, and I don't know who he was because he never took his mask off. Yeah, so... So I was trying, like I was showing up in the ways that I knew how, like I was contributing in the ways that I could and slowly increasing my mileage by 10 miles a week every year. And then finally, junior year, you know, I think part of it, it did help when Mark Coogan took over the program. Um, Mark. He's a great coach now. He's a professional coach. Mark coaches in Boston and he taught us to believe in ourselves and what the mental side of running was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much that I had like a turning point as much as I just put in consistent work every year and it took the two years that I was out of running to get back into shape again. Okay, that makes sense. And then when you decide to go to the Ducks, did anybody, did everyone understand or was there like, all right, have a good, like, good luck or was it kind of bitter at times? With who? Anyone. With Who? you. Only you were bitter about this, apparently, <laughs> because everybody else, including my poetry professors, so I had to turn down these, like, you I'm know, not that bitter. I guess I You am. seem bitter. Okay, I don't yeah. like the ducks. All right, I'll admit it. Go ahead. So my, what was most surprising to me was the creative writing side, where professors were encouraging me to give up the grad programs that I'd, like, dreamed about to keep pursuing the unique window, small window of time you could to, you know, run. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the best. I don't want to say it. It's the best program in the country. I don't want to say it. <laughs> and I learned so much there. Like, to be a part of a team that, you know, one of the special things about Oregon and probably other college programs is that you just need to show up. Like, yeah. they're, they're there. The coaching, the guidance, the resources. And if you're willing to show up and work hard, it's just a gift. Mm-hmm. So I was pumped to have that year of learning and contributing and then also falling in love with the place eugene that i then you know made my home Mm -hmm. which race did you like the most the 10k really yeah i've never felt 
more myself in a race than in the 10k okay which i didn't understand was a feeling you could have where you really are like this is where i belong yeah have you had that feeling i think it's in the five you like that race yeah do you it love is. that race i do why do you love that race i think because i because I, I, I respect everybody in the race i think there is so much more in the 5k than just talent and it doesn't matter how talented you are in the five, it's going to hurt. I think in a lot of different races, like even the 800, talent will get you a lot farther than, than in the 5K. And I like that. It, it makes me feel like, all right, I can, I can win this race. Yeah. It's you like, ta- yeah, it's a mind game too. It is. Yeah, that's fun. That's what I like about it, yeah. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. What do you like about the 10? I like that it's mental and physical. I like that you can, you have to like have a calm maturity for a good portion of the race because it's like a race of attrition oftentimes. And so you have to be able to stay calm and hang in there and then know when to unleash your, your move or whatever. Your spirit. Your spirit. Right. Um, and I've only run five 10 Ks. So I still want to explore it more, but I like I like that it is as much mental as it is physical. Um, it's fun to talk about races. I know. Speaking of races, tell me about the biggest race of your life. We were doing core, and I asked, "What race are you most proud of?" And you're like, "Well, it's gotta be it's gotta be Rio." Yeah, yeah. I was proud of I was proud of my race in Rio because I think I was able to embrace it as both an opportunity and a celebration. So an opportunity in that I could run the fastest I'd ever run before, which I did, and that to PR at the Olympics is really fun. And also a celebration in that while I was in the race, I felt like my mind and my body were finally in one place. Like, so rare to get your mind and your body in the same, same page. And when they are, it feels amazing because pain doesn't hurt us badly. And also, you're kind of watching yourself run a race while you're running it. And I felt like I was able to take in that I was at the Olympics while I was at the Olympics. That is special where, you know, and maybe it's because the 10K is so long that you have time to be like... <laughs> you have time to think about yeah, it. Yeah, you have time to think about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. um, but... It was just fun. It was so fun. And I just felt very confident in where I was. Meaning even when I got lapped, like most people got lapped in that race, I felt very confident with that I was running my like out of my mind when other people were running out of their mind. It was like, we're all doing this right now. Right. You made a big change to go to Rio. You switched citizenships from American to... Your grandmother's citizenship. Greece. I switched allegiances. I'm still dual citizen. Okay. Sorry. For international events, you will run for Greece. Yeah. Tell me about some upsides and downsides of running for for Greece. Yeah. Uh, you got a lot of calls and a lot of praise from, from people in Greece, right? That were like, yes, <laughs> we've got somebody. This is, this is awesome. I'm so proud of this person. But... Um, did, did you have any backlash or, or was it kind of just the best decision you've ever made? My decision to run for Greece was definitely a big, big life decision. 
And I remember sitting down for brunch with my mentor, Dina Castor, and talking to her about this opportunity that I had, which it really is an opportunity. It was so special to talk to her because she, I deeply respect her thoughts and feelings on anything, but particularly my journey because it would be, you know, I would like to mirror the impact that she's had in the running world and that is exactly what I feel that I'm able to do with this with competing for Greece because in the U.S. I'm still one of the top distance runners but there are a lot of top distance runners there are a lot there are a lot of role models here there's a lot and in Greece I have this opportunity to have a bigger impact in a tradition where distance running started it's really cool to be a part of the greek team like to and which i didn't realize really until rio like how much it mattered like you enter the stadium first this is there's such there's such rich commitment to the olympic tradition to distance running to athletics there that now i can contribute to in a way that is unique and it doesn't diminish my ability to be a presence in the U.S. The the young athletes that I maybe speak to and care so much about I think can still be a part of my running life but my like tentacles can reach farther now mm-hmm. and when I trained in Greece before Rio it was really cool because there be little girls at the track watching their siblings their brothers play soccer and they, I'd be running around the track and some of them came up to me and they're like, why do you look like that in Greek? And why are you running? Why are you playing sports? Sports are for boys. And I was like, no, sports are for you too. And so it was cool to show them what it looks like to be an athlete. I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but not, a, but not too much of one. When did you realize that people are starting to look up to you? You have a big presence in the running world. I think the first time somebody sent a picture of themselves with their hair in a bun, it was after, it was sometime around when I was at Oregon, this whole team of high school girls had their hair in a bun and sent a picture, and I retweeted it because I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And that was kind of the beginning of that. Does that kind of change how you went about your career yeah I think I mean it doesn't change my goals as an athlete but it does mean something to me because growing up I was always searching for these like female role models and a lot of my athletic role models were in soccer like I looked up to Mia Hamm and Brandi Chastain that was kind of the era of them and they felt like the most positive present bold strong beautiful women goal-oriented women and in running I found those role models later I think and so to to see myself as like a, a role model is a privilege and you know whatever I am able to give to these up-and-coming athletes is positive I feel like I've picked my role models kind of like grocery shopping you're just like looking at everything and so my eyes were always open growing up. I was just taking everything in. But I made sure, I was very careful, I think because I didn't grow up with a lot of women in my house, 
to pick very wisely as I whatever my young wise <laughs> whatever I thought was wise at the time <laughs> okay. and then to really hold on to those people and to really imitate them and to just try to be just like them and to like rub all them themselves on me so if I you know if Petra my au pair I mentioned from the Czech Republic wore cut off shirts and I wore cut off shirts you know it was like whatever you could do to imitate um, and then absorb the qualities and then own them and then Tweak them just a little bit for yourself. Imitation is like how I got anywhere in life. You're an actress. That's it. That's it. How did you end up joining OTC? So when you run for Oregon, you're around professional athletes all the time. You're not practicing together. But I remember at Oregon when we'd practice at South Eugene High, we'd see the OTC around, and I really looked up to Julia Lucas and Bridget Franick and Sally Kipiego, who are women on the team and at the time. And I talked to Bridget, I remember, in the ice bath one day about it, and the, it just they felt like women I could, you know, spend some time with. And so I stayed in Eugene after I graduated from Oregon, First, I ran like a, an unattached spring. You knew you wanted to be pro. No, actually, I applied to grad school again, and again, got in, and again decided to pursue the running. Okay, so you you go to OT. You you didn't know you're going to be a pro runner, and then you finally decide you're like I'm going to be a poet. I'm either going to be a, a starving writer or a semi-professional runner or. And then you just, you make it as a pro, pro runner. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you jive with the team when you got there? It was an interesting time for the OTC. I think it was going through a transition. So some athletes were retiring. Like, I remember I thought certain athletes were going to be my teammates and then they weren't. But for me, I was really excited to train with Sally, which is who I started training with. And that was really hard. So Sally is an Olympic silver medalist. Sally Kibiego. Yes. And I remember, so at the time, Mark Rowland was my coach. He would just say, hang on as long as you can. (laughs) I would go into workouts with her until I could not go any longer. And that is a really difficult way to train, actually. It's really difficult to never finish a workout. And for my first season on OTC, I would like... Ne- I never finished a workout because I, because she was, you know, it, okay. it was expected She's that good. I wasn't going to finish, mm-hmm. but it was also challenging because I, I thought that that's what professional running was, was that you just hang on as long as you can and you always, you're always nervous for every workout. You're never going to finish. You might throw up and, um, this is I, helping me so much. You don't even know <laughs> because that's exactly the life that I lived in February. It's so hard and it's so hard. And I love Sally though, because she really, she really cared about me. And I remember she gave me some of the best advice, which was that training is just a series of boxes that you tick and every box every day is the same value. So if you have an easy day, an off day, hard workout day, you just, you're ticking a box. And so you don't have super high highs and super low lows. And I think that's about the time when I stopped training with Sally. Mm-hmm. And that was really important uh, for me to train with people who are better than me, but not 
every day and not dying every single workout and making sure that there was a balance of like feeling good, feeling okay, and feeling shitty. You so know? you're all about you're all about the aura, right? You're you need a balance. You need a balance like that. That's your whole presence, man. Exactly. I, I'm not as much of a hippie as you think I am. <laughs> like, I think I know. Like, I shouldn't I'm, paint you that way, but it's because you're seeing me with my hair down, which very few people see. Yeah, and, like, you glasses. got the hairband now. So yeah. you had the ma- you had the bun. Now you got the hairband. I have a hairband, and but my hair is very down and long mm-hmm. right now yeah so I, yeah yeah um it's interesting you talked about sally because sally kipiego like saved i wouldn't say saved my life but i was really sick in kenya oh. and i met her and she was trained she trades in e10 did you know that yes did you ever go with her no nope. okay yeah so she is at home in e10 yes. with her husband yeah and no how school. often does she go how often does she go back you know, now she has a baby, so I don't oh, know. Yeah. This might change her whole life. Life, just a um, little bit. Yeah, but Sally's amazing. She, yeah, she's very generous and has she is done a lot there, like for her community. Oh yeah, like, an E ten. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like, I went to Kenya and I got really sick. Is and that she... where she's from, actually? Because I don't know where she's from. Uh, she's Kalenjin. Okay, I don't um, know. Like, I don't want to speak and say that she's done a lot for E10 because I don't know. Oh, okay, where, that's fair. I don't know what her community actually is. That's true. I actually don't know either exactly, but I do know that when I when I needed her most, she like she fed you. She fed me. What did she feed you to fix you? It's a like they ugali. Yeah, just skumawiki. So it's basically the brat diet, but the Kenyan brat diet. The rat diet. Brat. Brad. When you're sick, bread, rice, applesauce, toast. Nope, banana, rice, applesauce, toast. Dude, yeah, I guess. I always say bread, rice, applesauce, toast. Sure. I realize that bread and toast are the same thing. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, I guess. So she was feeding you bread, kind of. Yeah, and and uh, spinach, essentially. So, Do you still talk to her? I haven't talked to Sally in a long time, but whenever I see her, she... I can I f- appreciate Sally because I know that she's rooting for me, mm-hmm. and I know that I admire her, and that she's sort of a role model that I will not outgrow, and so to have that is really cool to to yeah. have that. Um, it's interesting that you have so many role models, and I bet there's like people out there that are like, Alexi's my role model. You know, yeah. it's interesting that it's more a communal thing with you. It's a, it's a, it's like a campfire. Yeah. So you, you can't like run out of. You're, you get up and play the guitar. No, I mean, <laughs> no, again, you're trying to turn me to, into a hippie. <laughs> I'm saying that like being a role model is like a campfire because you can give it off infinitely. Like a fire can be a fire for as many pieces of sticks as you'll feed it. Now that I feel like the interview is done, we can talk about anything. <laughs> okay, good. You've got your content. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not done yet. I want to know, what, what do you plan on going forward? What are your, what's your move? I'm very excited. So, first of all, I took this break much better than I took the break in high school when I was like, running has been taken away from me. And I was like, I believe that this has been a really good time to like recharge and get ready for moving up in distance. So 
I've not yet run a half marathon or a marathon before, and I would like to try both of those distances in the next year or so. So you're moving up. I want to try it. I mean, I don't want to give up the track completely, but I think for 2020, the marathon could be a very, very great event. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you've only ran, what, you said five? Yeah, you've only ran five 10Ks, and you had amazing success at longer distances. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you, you open up at a good, like in a good race. What Do you have any race you want to open up with? Uh, to be announced, but somewhere in the United States. Okay. You were telling me earlier about Jeremy being uh, sort of like medication. A distraction. I wouldn't say a distraction, but someone oh, who... Oh, dating. Dating a non-runner. Dating a non-runner. Jeremy's special because he's not just a non-runner. He is also... Uh, he shares the same passions that you do outside running. How did that come about? Jeremy... And I met at a party at Dartmouth, which is why I'm also grateful for some of the times that I was, that I had a social life in college because I met people. I met Jeremy. I probably would have never met him on the cross country course. He wasn't even awake at the hours that I was running. Uh, And so we met and then he, Jeremy always had an interest in film. I had an interest in creative writing. He did too, but he pulled me sort of in the direction of film where I was focused pretty seriously on poetry, he showed me how film can be so fun because it's this world where you are a team putting together vision, putting together a project much different than a writer alone in a room writing a poem that maybe no one will see. So we started writing together and we co-wrote his first film, Tall as a Baobab Tree, which he filmed while I was still at Dartmouth. And then we continued to work together and that's been really fun like you know we have to learn the balance too of like romantic and professional life but overall I feel very very lucky to work with the one I love Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that he doesn't understand what my times in a workout mean oh he doesn't care he well he cares (laughs) he he only cares as much as I care so he only cares like are you happy with your workout he could never decipher the times or the mm-hmm. paces. So that's great because I can decide before I come home from a workout, like how do I want the rest of my day to go? Like I can burst in and say that workout was awesome and I, you you know, I always do. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but it's good that he doesn't know that he's not so involved in my running life that I can't, you know, make decisions for myself and evaluate mm-hmm. my running how i'd like to yeah i actually i date someone who doesn't know either really yeah she's gonna listen to this and and maybe dispute it but she well doesn't. no they learn like he yeah. understands like what a mile he knows four laps to a mile you know he's not like completely right like, yeah. running um i like to do my doubles with him because it keeps me healthy to go at a more relaxed pace and to sometimes walk mm-hmm you walk if he's walking sometimes don't walk (laughs) (laughs) hardly ever or sometimes i'll keep running and he'll walk okay secondaries are what they need to be oh yeah kind of just take your time they need to be like sometimes they have rejuvenation yeah i'm really painting you as this yeah don't paint me as this like (laughs) i can do it it's my podcast like tell them that like (laughs) 
you know, drinking out of just a normal diner mug, wearing, yeah. you know, normal you clothes. Want... Okay, she's drinking out of a, a coffee mug. We're having some tea. It's late at night. Okay, she's wearing some Nike pants, and of course she has a tree on her shirt. It just happens to be from Dartmouth College. <laughs> All right, you okay with that? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with being a hippie? Well, it'd be disingenuous. I don't know. I guess call me whatever you want. I'm not going to call myself that. Okay. Do you have any tattoos? I do have tattoos. I don't know where they are. Where? I have three tattoos. Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> where are they? What are your tattoos? I have the rings on my arm. <laughs> Notice that one. I have the Dartmouth Lone Pine behind my ear. Notice that one too. And that one is from a specific race that I'm very proud of in college. Um, oh, no. What? Now we have to ask. This the Lone Pine story. Yeah, tell me this about the great, tattoo. This is actually a great story. All right, so you can cut it out. Alexi has a tattoo behind her ear, and she just told me that she got the tattoo because of a race she had in college. Yes. So at Dartmouth, uh, we most of my teammates had never been to nationals. Abby D'Agostino was the exception, but the rest of us really wanted to go. None of us were good enough, so we decided we'd try in the DMR, which is a team event that we could maybe do together and so my senior year we drove every weekend to new york to try to qualify and we barely qualified in the last chance meet for the nationals in dmr and we were like oh man we're gonna get the lone pine tattoo because we qualified for nationals and our coach mark was like no 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 no. you can't just get it for going to nationals you got to do something at nationals so we're like okay if we get all american we're gonna get the tattoo and he's like "Mm, okay and we're like so we were like, okay, if we get All-American, we're going to get the tattoo. And we were like, Mark, you got to get the tattoo if we get All-American. He's like, no, 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 I'm not getting the tattoo unless you podium, top three. And we all knew we were probably not going to podium <laughs> at Nationals because no we barely made it. However, a girl from Florida State, don't know who it was, slowed down the race significantly enough that when Abby got the baton, we got third in this race. And you would have thought we won the world because we were crying. We yeah. were like the happiest people. And what's funny about that story is um, Oregon, the team that I then joined, they got second in that race to Washington and they did not show up to the award ceremony. And Ooh. they were very upset. And I remember Vin... And you wonder why I don't like Oregon. <laughs> I love Oregon. But Vin turned to them and was like, look at those Dartmouth girls. You would have thought they won the world and so it was kind of this dynamic uh, where I understood you know it was just that was the greatest accomplishment of my life up until that point so much so that I got a tattoo Mark Coogan fulfilled his promise and has the tattoo behind his calf and so that's the story of that tattoo well it's no longer a relevant tattoo it's no longer the greatest accomplishment so you have to remove it but it was, it was like, it was so important. Okay. It was great. And then I have a secret society tattoo on my side of my body from Dartmouth. Okay. That's nice. Just an old tradition. Okay. So that was our entire interview with Alexi Pappas. Uh, to finish out this episode, I thought we should listen to a clip from her most recent blog. So if you're wondering what the rest of her life is like outside this podcast, here's a little taste from her most recent episode in November. Workout, a double, and a lift session. There's nothing I need more than a steak. Shalane is about to win the New York City Marathon. This is 
insane. She was literally just here in Mammoth training. I jogged around to work out with her, but she did 800 meter repeats, and now she is about to win the world. Okay, that will be this month's episode of Price of a Mile. Next episode, we have a treat for you. My teammate Chris Derrick will be with me interviewing our newest teammate at Bowman Track Club, Kate Grace. So make sure you check in the Sidious Mag for all the episodes. We'll see you next month.